Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumser, one step closer. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? Morning, John. I'm doing well. I am home in North Carolina. I just got back from my last work trip on the road, so I'm I'm doing well right now. Uh, looking forward to some time off in December, hopefully. That's that's great. That's great. Things are beautiful and cold here. It actually dipped under freezing last night. It doesn't really do that here. Yeah, uh, that's very now. But but you're not near the newest range of fires, though, either. Are you? Those are in South uh, Southern California. Yeah, no, that's 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 as far away from me as New York City is from you. Okay, yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a distance. Hopefully, everybody out there is safe as well. But freezing in your area seems a little bit odd. So that's uh, uh, definitely a weather change for you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think they should give us our money back when it gets cold like this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you know, here uh, when it gets under fifty, people start to put on the extra down yeah. and um, shiver a lot. But low thirties—that's unheard of. Yeah, well, I, I remember when I first moved to North Carolina and it snowed like three times in the first year. I used to tell them it was false advertising. I was told it would only snow once every seven years. So uh, I think, uh, you know, as we all are, well, as weather pains or as weather patterns change a bit, we might all be in for some surprises. But uh, freezing in, in California might be probably the biggest one. So let's, let's hope it doesn't affect our, our wine. I think that's the big thing, right? If it freezes, most of the wine country up there really has some issues, doesn't it? Well, it's past the harvest. It's past. The Is harvest. it okay? See, you know this stuff. I don't. <laughs> All I know well, is you that, can tell, that was always. You can the tell story. here it smells like rotting grapes with the <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's easy. It, it's easy. There's this. There's this last night in the bar smell that that, that that's part of <laughs> that's the for me, it's the air. air for a couple <laughs> couple of weeks of the year. Yeah. So what's in the mailbag? Well, you know, it's it's not it's you know I think people are starting to wind down for the holidays, so we don't have a a, a lot of overly sort of I think uh, groundbreaking news, but there's some interesting topics I think that you and I are going to talk a little bit about today. Um, the one I think piece of sort of really groundbreaking news is what's going on over at Cornerstone on Demand. Cornerstone on Demand just announced announcement yesterday um, that. They are um, hiring a new global field operations uh, uh, director, Jeff Lautenbach. Um, so it was a pretty big announcement. Along with that announcement, they're also, sounds like, really doubling down. Uh, for those who maybe don't remember, and it was while you were on vacation, John, um, Cornerstone got an infusion of $300 million to their Silver Lake LinkedIn investment just, just about a month ago. Um, and with that investment, I think they're making a lot of major changes in the organization. One is hiring this new global field of operations role. Um, Jeff Lautenbach. Um, the other one is that they it looks like they're going to be taking their um, service delivery arm um, and moving that out of the company and working more with partnerships. So they're going to create a implementation services group or an implementation partnership uh, function, and then they are they are basically downsizing. I think they said somewhere around six percent of Cornerstone to do this. Um, they're basically no longer, I think, going to be doing their own implementations, which is a big shift for Cornerstone. And they're going to be expanding in their e-learning space. Now, one of the things that came out with the announcement was um, uh, the news brief was that uh, Kirsten, um, most of us who know Kirsten, she's been in uh, Cornerstone for the last 15 years, who has headed up much of that uh, service delivery arm. Uh, looks like she plans to leave in the first quarter of the year, Kirsten Helvey, for those who don't know her. And um, it sounds like it's a... a 
they're making a very mutual leaving. So that was one of the big announcements. Um, after that, and we can talk a little bit about that and your thoughts on that, uh, John, we also have some updates from Microsoft. They're um, connecting more uh, integrations with LinkedIn job postings. I don't think we, I think we all saw that coming. Uh, Workday had some updates on their uh, um, stock market. So they did fairly well in their announcements in third quarter, but uh, there were some things I think the stock market was looking for. And so there was a, a drop in some of the stock and Workday. So it's worth maybe having a little conversation about what that might do. Um, some changes happening in the K through 12 learning space. Um, Intrepid Learning, for those who might know them as an LMS, was picked up by Vitalsource. Um, as an acquisition, um, Paycor announced some partnerships with uh, Web Benefits Design um, for Employee Benefits Administration. So in the SMB space, Paycor is pretty well known in the HR space. And then if we get a little bit of time today, John, I think we have a really interesting conversation about emotional intelligence tracking tools. Uh, did I get that correct? It is tools oh, that I track your emotions, a, I correct? Think, I think it's emotion tracking. I don't think there's much intelligence well, There's no about intelligence. It. <laughs> Well, well, that's you, you, you know, it, it's a really interesting thing. I'm I'm anxious to to spend some time on it. The facial recognition software um, picks up all of the micro expressions that you make. So, so in a short amount of time, at 50 frames or 60 frames a second, you can pick up a lot of data about somebody. And there are emerging startups that claim to be able to read. Um, your tells, your ticks, um, to understand what emotions you're feeling at the at the moment. Well, that sounds a little scary to me, but I think, but I would love to understand a little bit more. And I, I think we have quite a few vendors in this space who have spent some time in that. So, so we'll definitely make sure we get some time to talk a little bit more about that. But let's briefly jump well, back. Well, to well, well hang on. What what nope. is what what is the what's the name of the emotion that you feel when you hear something that <laughs> That um, boggles your mind. Boggles <laughs> my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is that? What What is that? What is emotion? that emotion? That emotion is 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 absolute. I, I really don't know what it, it is. Incredulity. The <laughs> incredulity. <emotion of> incredulity. <laughs> the, 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 are you kid, Are you freaking kidding me? Um, <laughs> That's it would be that's what that's what my facial recognition software would be reading on me right now. I'm most yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the whole thing. I'm like I'm like that crosses that creepy line just a little bit. I think doesn't it? <laughs> well, well, well. The 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 idea that that um, that that you can categorize all of this stuff that way as if everybody's internal experience was somehow identical is is crazy making right it's just crazy making you know you know like i do that people people experience their emotions at different rates and in different um uh, uh dimensions how do you say that people experience emotions differently they're more powerful for some they're less yeah. powerful for other they're triggered um um by little things in some and big things in others and so so saying that there is a 
broad spectrum of recognizable facial behavior that always indicates emotion. If that were true, then nobody could play poker. Well, and, and you know, and there are people, particularly those who I think are, are, are follow sort of the the study of, of human nature and, and, you know, who feel that you can track some of this. This is why the poker players are that are the best in the world are known to sort of be very good at recognizing tells and, and things that people do, right? And there are, um, you know, um, those who are magicians or mind readers or all those type of things. You know, a lot of what they do is generally based off of this kind of sort of analysis or science, depending on how you look at it. But the question is, is, you know, what percentage of that is right? And, you know, what impact can it have if you misread it to some extent, right? I think that's a bigger question in any HR or any type of technology that's having a business impact or decision that might impact your life, right? Um, and, and again, it comes down to this fact, you know, there's a difference between sort of a human being taking all these things into consideration and then sort of making a decision versus a machine making that decision and telling the human being this is what it thinks, right? This is what it believes is that emotion means. And that to me is, is the, the scarier part, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the, this is, okay, I heard that little inflection in your voice, Stacey. Why are you mad at me? Right. This is this yeah. is this is like automating passive aggressive behavior. <laughs> it 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 is yes very much. Why are so. you mad at me? Why are you mad at me all the time, Stacey? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think you know you know if if we sort of look at the companies who are investing in this right now or who are doing this, I mean, um, it, it seems that their focus is on the areas like hiring. Right. Um, the question is, is, is this type of technology something that could be used in other spaces in the HR environment, such as maybe, you know, is this a tool that could be used to monitor and watch for workplace violence? Is this a tool that could be used to monitor and watch for um, depression in an organization or lack of engagement, which really gets scary, right? Because then, you know, all I can envision is the for those who are Doctor Who fans is the one series where they had the little machines that basically incinerated you if you stopped smiling. So <laughs> right, right. Well, that's good, that's yeah. that's exactly. This sounds this sounds yeah. like an ongoing test to make sure you're not lying on your engagement survey. Are yeah. you really engaged? And that's a, that's the direction it could go. So, so I mean, you, have you talked to any of the companies that they're mentioning here who are doing this kind of work at all? Um, I, I've spent a bunch of time running around in circles uh, on this topic with with people who are trying to apply machine learning to um, facial recognition software. And the folks at Hireview have taken this a very long way. Um, and and claim to be able to identify 25,000 different variables um, um, and, and claim to be able to do the beginnings of very complicated um, industrial psychology style validated science assessments with it. And, mm-hmm. and they get some traction in there. They are changing the way that people think about assessment it still it still is unnerving to try to think about how this works yeah 
Well, and I mean, and even the people I think who are doing so, the, the you know, they've got a couple of, in, in a couple of the articles that are written up about this one, a couple of the people who are running the companies who do this are even stating, you know, this has to be done very, very carefully in rollout, and it has to really be focused on sort of broad numbers versus an individual um, sort of identification of emotions. And I think that's, that's very true with almost any analytics or any artificial intelligence, right? It's about the numbers, right? If you can, you know, their comment in here was you could tell 60% of people how they feel when they leave work, you know, that might be an interesting indicator if you have enough people leaving work from the same job, from the same environment that you can track, right? Um, but it's not very valuable if you have two people, because that basically becomes an individual assessment versus an aggregate, you know, analytics correct yeah i wonder I, I, I wonder who's interested in aggregate analytics I, I mean it seems to me that that actually most people are interested in individual analytics mm -hmm. uh, and so 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 i hear this i hear the the story that that really don't ever use this for individual analytics and and I imagine the very first thing that happens is that it gets used for individual analytics. And I think that's a dangerous road. I mean, that's the road we all have to be careful about is that it's very, very uh, tempting to use almost any of these tools from an individual perspective, right? Um, and the idea here is that it, for, for brand new technology like this that has no validation and no vetting and hasn't gone through any kind of assessment model that can be sort of rolled out year over year and looked at with a with an eye towards, you know, is it statistically valid, then using it individually right off the bat is the most dangerous way to use that kind of technology. Yep. Okay. So we got the last one first. But what's We next? did, yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think it well and it might lead into some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about here on the on the business side of things. Um like I said, the cornerstone on demand, I went a little bit further into the introduction as I realized oh, we hadn't talked about the rest of the articles, but I think to me this this is a pretty big announcement in our industry. I mean cornerstone on demand is has been sort of one of the sort of, you know, founding SaaS um technologies in our space, right? They were one of the first LMSs and one of the first talent management suites to be truly in a cloud environment. And so watching them grow and change over the last, you know, twenty years has been, you know, an interesting uh, opportunity to see what happens in a truly cloud-based organization, right? Uh, not one that came from an on-premise and then had a transition. And um, for most of their time, they have always done their own implementations that, and their own services side of things. And so that's been a big part of their business model. And they've sort of been very controlling about how things were implemented and what kind of services came out of those implementations and that type of work. And the big shift um, with this new sort of infusion of money and probably new management approach they're taking is to really, really think about, I think, focusing just on recurring revenue from the technology side, which is what we're hearing most other technology firms do to some extent, particularly those in the cloud, um, to focus really, really, really carefully on that operating margins and cash flow within that. And then um, to also expand their presence in the e-learning content space. So it sounds like they're doubling down on the idea of content, um, uh, getting into probably the space of the Udemy's and Khan Academies and the um, degreed areas if for people who follow the learning space, which is basically open source, available, um, highly curated content that you can get through them. So 
it'll be interesting to watch. Are, are, you've worked with Cornerstone for a long time as well, John. Does this shift uh, make sense to you? Well, well, so so they've been feeling performance pressure for a while from investors, um, and and the heart of this announcement set is that they are going to aggressively move to achieve the rule of forty, and the, and the rule of forty is um, is a formula for looking at SaaS companies. And, and according to the rule of 40, and um, um, this, is just, this is just conventional wisdom in the investment community and not anything resembling science, um, the rule of 40 is that your growth rate plus your profit should add up to 40%. Okay. And so, and so it's basically the idea that that as long as you're growing, your profit is suppressed because you have to throw money back into growth. And so, if you want to, if you want to understand what healthy looks like, um, you have forty percent, forty percent margin that you can spend on profit and growth. And so, so you can spend that to hit the rule of forty. You can spend that thirty-nine percent on growth and one percent on profit, or, or or maybe even 50% on growth and minus 10% on profit, as long as you're hitting the 40% number. Um, and um, and so that's a that's a a sort of Spartan discipline that that um, Quarterstone is signing up to, and and that's a big operating difference in the company. It's a really yeah. big really difference in the company, and it's kind of exciting. You know, um, Adam Miller. Adam Miller built this thing out of whole cloth, and and I believe that they are committing to being a billion dollar company, and they're halfway there. Right? There are there are just a few companies that get that big, and Cornerstone is in some shooting range of that, and. And the fact, so this investment was really kind of a refinancing of existing debt. And um, um, the fact that LinkedIn was part of that is very interesting. I don't know exactly what that means, but, but, but LinkedIn is becoming a distinct player in the HR software infrastructure. Well, and and I think you know, and we talked about it because this was the week that you were on vacation. So Aaron and I talked a little bit about this. You know, I thought, you know, the fact that it was LinkedIn, not Microsoft. You know, as LinkedIn, right? That you know, as you said, their sort of distinct voice in the market as a HR technology player, I think, is becoming very, very, I think, um, um, very interesting to watch because I think they are going to make a a, a much bigger play over time, particularly as they make the point that they are an element that works with Microsoft, but they're not part of the Microsoft suite, right? So this cornerstone investment becomes an even an even bigger conversation there, um, especially if they're investing, I think, in content. Because I think content is the piece where people think um, the money is going to be, particularly in the learning space. The LMS, the, the applications, those tools change pretty rapidly, but the content is the piece that seems to be the one that everybody's banking on right now. Well, that, that's that's really interesting, isn't isn't that the excuse me? The, isn't that the um, the thing that we've been wrestling with since the internet started, which is the that, which is how do you 
how do you think about content? You know, content's pretty cheap right now. The, the, the degree to which I'm bombarded with content um, makes building a business in content a pretty interesting thing the, 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 that, puts you, that puts you squarely in the business of competing for attention. Well, I'm kind of likening this to what's happening in the media space overall, particularly in the in the um, video space and the movie space. Right, uh, we are seeing almost every one of the what was originally just platform providers, right, um, the Netflix and the Hulu's and the you know Amazons create their own content with the idea that for many many years it's not like we didn't have enough content, right? We had 200 plus channels of in many cases, junk, right? <laughs> and what I think every one of those platforms realized is that by the fact that if they could create good enough content, something that was a real deal deal breaker, something that really drew people in, you know, talking, you know, Stranger Things or, you know, uh, Handmaid's Tale, those kind of things, right, in the various markets, you could change the dynamic of what your platform was to people. And I think that might be the play they're trying to make here. I don't know if we can do that in the business space or the learning space. I mean, is is there enough compelling content to make that a reality in, in that kind of a space? And does it stay, you know, standard long enough, right? Well, the the really interesting thing, if you could build a content play that kept your work current right the 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 thing that's going to happen over the next uh i don't know three to ten years is that is that the skill set that's embedded in your workforce is going to erode rapidly and in a 20th century company you just you know you fired those people and you got new ones uh, but but there's a talent shortage that's driven by declining birth rates and an aging workforce. That means to be really effective, you're going to have to hire people who can learn and then insist that they continuously learn. And that means providing them with compelling content that allows them to continuously learn. So, and 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 that's going to be interesting to watch is how quickly do companies figure this out. Um, you know, most of the investments right now are being made in the recruiting side, um, but the learning space is starting to heat up. Um, one of the other spaces that, that we saw, so for those who aren't kind of watching in the learning space, but I did touch base on the fact that Intre uh, Intrepid, now Intrepid is one of those organizations where they, they were sort of originally more of a, a learning sort of um, what you would call portal environment, and then they sort of opened up their own little LMS after that and grew. Um, they were picked up by a K through 12 organization called Vital Source, um, and and the main reason I thought this was sort of interesting is that we're starting to see what I would consider movement in the learning space. Um, you're seeing Cornerstone on Demand getting funding. You're seeing a lot of these little LMSs that were sort of hanging on for dear life, um, had invested a lot of money in their infrastructures, being picked up by larger organizations as part of their solutions. So this is very much reminding me of, of basically the 2006-2007 timeframe when we saw almost all of the sort of standalone LMSs get picked up by talent suites. Uh, now, though, they're not getting picked up by talent. They're getting picked up by HR and or content providers, right? So that, I think, will be the interesting thing to watch in the learning space. Yep. Yep. 
So the other news that today, maybe it goes along with this idea of um, what's happening in the in the market is Workday. So you had an interesting conversation about this. You know, you know the, the the news was that Workday stock went down quite a bit, particularly after the holiday um, Thanksgiving holiday, after they gave their third quarter um, or Q3 release of, um, of their revenue and their numbers this year. And it wasn't because they're doing poorly, right? You know, it's not like like Workday had any kind of a, a big sort of number missed or anything on that level. But it seems to be, at least, and I'm reading all this with the investor stuff, is that the, the big thing is that it's just not the silver bullet anymore, that it's a mature market and they're not expecting it to grow quite as rapidly. Was Am I reading that right, John? Is that what sort of the market's saying with all the, the com- commotion and uh, conversation going on with the Workday stock right now? There was a lot, uh, there was a lot of um, sort of sub-vocalization about the fact that Workday was overvalued. Um, but when you, look at, when you look at the stock chart over time, you, you know, you, you, you kind of want to be a Workday investor because it, it, it goes in growth spurts that are pretty interesting. And it's been on a um, tear since uh the beginning the beginning of 2016 um where it was you know in the mid 40s to today where it's slightly over 100 so if you bought workday stock 2 years ago you would have grown your investment by 150% and that's after this most recent correction so so the idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with workday stock is only really true if you bought it last uh, you know the first of november um and and turned around and looked at your accounts on the first of december you would be upset <laughs> you know but, <laughs> but 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 the track record workday's track record is awfully impressive it is it is for the last 2 years it's straight up um since its inception, um, you would be better off holding than selling. But, but like a lot of tech stocks, it's got ups and downs along the way. Um, well, and I and I think the tech stock market in general, what we're seeing is that the HR tech stock, it's just it's not so much that there's anything. You know, it's, it's all growing at a, at a pretty good pace and clip, we're just not going to get the major, I don't know that we're going to get those 150% returns. So if you're looking for that, that, that skyrocketing tech stock right now, I think that's the conversation that I'm hearing in the space. And I think that's actually a little bit better for our industry right now. We need some time to level out, mature, re sort of figure out what's most important for the customers. That's my take versus sort of, you know, all vying for big, big stock wins. So uh, we'll see, I guess, what happens in it. But if I'm a pessimist on the stock markets, I think sometimes it can add more trouble than it adds profit. <laughs> oh, you you know, the 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 economy is is has been on fire, but it's hard to understand why. And so so seeing corrections as people get nervous about how much money they're making. I mean, this is this is People being nervous about how much money they're making. We're making too much money. There's something wrong is, is kind of the underlying sentiment here. And um, um, 
That's kind of disturbing. <laughs> well, I guess we'll watch a little bit more closely, see what some of the other things happen over the next year. But um, uh, the 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 difference between what customers are looking for and what the market and stock is looking for is often pretty wide. Um, ADP, I know they had, you know, uh, looking at their numbers, we're doing really, really well this year based, you know, on just the fact that, you know, they've been able to sort of fend off what they're doing with that activist investor and sort of keep pace with what they were planning to do. Um, and, you know, we're going to see a lot more of those kind of conversations, I think, in this space is, you know, what's happening with each of these vendors, both from a stock perspective and a, and a and a features and functions perspective. Um, another organization that's sort of in this space having some similar conversations is Paycor. Paycor is one of those organizations that just deals with the SMB market, and so that's another one that's recently starting up a lot of different partnerships. They haven't bought anybody, but they did partner pretty closely with an, an Integrated Employee Benefits Administration and payroll processing um, organization. So. Um, that's going to be interesting to watch what they're doing in the SMB space. I think that's, that's maybe we can talk a little bit more about that next week as well. So, fantastic. So we've wound our way through another um, great conversation, Stacy. Um, yep. um, thanks for doing this. As always, and, a pleasure. Looking forward to next week, and and hopefully, as we get into the end of this year, we'll have some interesting new conversations about artificial intelligence and all the stuff you're finding out, John. <laughs> That, that, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. And we'll see you here next week. Bye-bye now. Thanks, everyone. Bye.